word today will come from Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. Mark 14. Now, when you found it, um, make sure you find it on your device, on our, um, those who are gathered on the, on, online. Once you found it in the room, I'll invite you to stand. It's been a couple years since we did this, and we got to be honest. I don't, I don't know how many of us were standing at the house for the scripture. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Ain't no, ain't no judgment here. Ain't no judgment here. Um, amen. But Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, there you'll find these words in the English Standard Version. It says, and while he, he being Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, um, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me, or a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Amen, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God for God's word. You may be seated in the presence of God today. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, uh, from this particular uh, <clears throat> passage of scripture, we'll tag the text with the topic, here I am to worship, here I am to worship, here I am to worship. Uh, for the last couple of months, we have been in a study series online called Authentic, Developing the Disciplines of a Sincere Faith. Uh, and I have to be honest with you, I wasn't planning on preaching <laughs> connected to the series, but the Lord has led us in that way on several weeks throughout this particular series. And so um, this final week as we were in process of preparing to return uh, to in-person worship this month, um, I thought it was interesting and fitting that the final lesson of our series focused on worship focused on worship and helped us to define worship. It helped us to understand the practice of worship. It helped us to see the impact of worship. It helped us uh, to deal with some misconceptions uh, about worship that we bring to the table uh, as we come to worship the Lord. What was most interesting is that I found that most people know how to worship. 
Uh, in fact, just last night, as we were uh, late in the evening, there was a whole arena full of people who were worshiping. Some uh, were worshiping. Uh, some were worshiping those who were wearing royal blue and white, and others were worshiping those uh, who were wearing Carolina blue. I'm sorry, uh, sky blue, <laughs> sky blue, and, and white. They, there, there was worship happening because at every big moment there was cheers and there was hands lifted. There were faces. There were screams uttered uh, for for or against uh, whichever team they were rooting uh, rooting for in that moment. There was worship happening down in New Orleans because Duke and UNC were playing one another. There's, we know how to worship. We go to concerts and we have a good time. We throw our hands up and we dance in the aisles, y'all. We know uh, how to worship. We know how to worship, but sometimes it can be a struggle for us to bring that same energy in our worship of God. And I know it's probably a little easier right now uh, because for the last two years and 19 days, for the last 107 Sundays, we haven't been able to gather uh, in space to worship together. So it might be a little easier right now, uh, but the time is going to come that if we're not consistent, if we don't continue uh, with that same fervor and energy and passion, we'll end up uh, worshiping in the same ways, in the same habitual manners that we were doing doing prior to the pandemic and that not that ought not be our testimony today our testimony ought to be that I'm coming into this new season to this new uh, iteration of ministry with my hands lifted ready to worship the Lord ready uh, to bust the place at the seams with praise with raised voices ready to lift up the name of our God if that's you today you ought to declare it today that here I am to worship here I am to worship. Discover that often uh, we approach worship with an attitude of receiving more than an attitude of giving. And in large part, uh, in the context of this version of Christianity that we find ourselves in in America is one that's more focused on what we get out of an experience rather than what we bring to the experience. Y'all, I call this consumer Christianity. This is consumer Christianity. It's the version of faith whose main focus is on our personal desires and our personal presence preferences rather than placing a priority on Jesus as the object of our attention, uh, of our worshipful affections, y'all. And I know what you're going to say, but we do come in thinking about Jesus. No, y'all got to be honest with yourselves. You got to be honest with yourselves. And sometimes you don't come in worried about worshiping the Lord, that worshiping our God. It's tangential, it's secondary, it's tertiary to coming in and looking good, to coming in and strutting your stuff, to coming in and not, I know it's not going to be a lot of amens through here, but this is the reality that we come into the place of worship not focused on God, not focused on Jesus, and we have to focus on the Lord. It's our primary focus. Our times of designated worship to God have often devolved into a worship catered to ourselves. Get dressed up, come into the sanctuary, receive that which will make us feel good emotionally but not change us spiritually. Come trying to look our best, but we don't bring our best praise. Come with empty hands, self-centered hearts, Instead of doing, as the psalmist suggests, and entering into God's gates with thanksgiving and entering to God's courts with praise, 
we got to wait on the worship leader. I know y'all say that ain't happened today, Pastor, but we got to wait on the worship leader to pump us up, the choir to sing us up, the deacon to pray us up, the preacher to preach us up so that we can say that we sure enough had church today. We've made our worship dependent on the gifts of a few without giving anything of ourselves. But the truth is, y'all, our worship isn't about how gifted we are. It's not about how holy we think we might be. Worship ain't about us, period. I know ain't. That's bad English. I know. Uh, it's not about us, period. We've come in the place in the house of the Lord to lift the name of Jesus higher. Because uh, we know what Jesus promised us, that when we lift Jesus higher, when we lift him up, that he will draw all men, all women, all boys, and all girls unto him. We've come to honor and to exalt his name. We've come to give praise unto him for he is good, for his truth is everlasting. His mercy endures through all generations, and that is what we learn today in our text. That's what we see happening in this moment that is captured in the house of Bethany just before Jesus heads into what is known as Holy Week. What he's heading to with this his final week uh, before his his crucifixion and burial and resurrection. This uh, is what is happening here. Mark chapter 14, 14 is known as a chapter of darkness. The plot to kill Jesus is being worked out behind the scenes and the, by the chief priests and the teachers of the law and Judas. Yet uh, over this final meal together in Bethany, Jesus uh, it, it exposes uh, who, the one who would betray him and the one who would deny him. Jesus struggles with the events that are preparing to unfold before being arrested and taken from court to court uh, in the middle of the night. And as the rooster crows to signal the beginning of a new day, Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Jesus ends the chapter by himself in the hands of the religious leaders, but, the, but, the begin, but begins it surrounded by friends and disciples in the home of the one whom he healed, that one named Simon the leper. Verse 3 says that Jesus was in Bethany, which was a special place because it was where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. He often stayed with them as he traveled. Bethany was a place where Jesus could go just to hang out, to kick back and chill. Bethany was the place where Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. Uh, it was the place where he had uh, the situation where he had to come between and deal with the sisters Mary and Martha to help them understand what was important in the moment. And in our text, Bethany would be one of the last places that Jesus would stop on his way to the Passover festival in Jerusalem. They gathered for two days before the Passover in the home of Simon the leper. And Simon is thought to have been a healed leper. But because leopards weren't allowed to come in contact with everyday society due to their unclean status, according to the law, they still gathered in his home. The home of Simon, who was healed, by his healed from his disease by Jesus, yet still known by his disease. Hope y'all caught that, y'all. Jesus was hanging out with somebody uh, who, was in, uh, who at one point in time was an outcast and was still known by his outcast status. But Jesus reclined at the table, hanging out uh, with his homeboy Simon, the disciples, and the other dinner guests. When a woman walks into the room, y'all, a woman walks in, and in her hands she has an alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume made from spikenard. She breaks the jar open and pours the 
fragrance of pure nard on Jesus' head in an act of worship and reverence. It is thought, thought most commonly by scholars that this woman uh, was Mary. This woman was Mary, who was the sister of Martha, who was showing her devotion to their teacher and friend. But this was not regardless of who the woman was, because in the text, there is no name for her. Uh, but regardless of who she was, this was a big deal. This was no minor happening. Uh, it was cultural traditions for guests in a home to be anointed with oil as a courtesy. Uh, the oil that she used to anoint Jesus was precious and expensive. And this is what caused those who were present to become so upset in verse number four. They rebuked her and they caused, accused her of wasting oil that could have been used to care for the poor. They said, you coming in here pouring this on Jesus, you should have sold it. So that you could have been a better benefit to somebody else. But Jesus, y'all, like Jesus does, Jesus comes to her defense and says, listen, what she's done is an act of worship. What she's done is beautiful. What she's done is appropriate for the moment that we are in. This moment that is headed with me getting ready to be crucified, getting ready to be buried and placed in a borrowed tomb. What she has done, her act would be remembered wherever the gospel story was told, and here we are 2,000 years later, talking about what she did in this moment. Y'all, this scene is an, appropriate, an important part of the narrative of the chapter and it's, that is quickly moving Jesus towards Calvary, yet we ought to recognize this act of worship because Jesus says this is important. It was customary for people to experience anointing like this when they enter the home of a guest, but this situation was unique. Jesus is the only one mentioned to have been anointed by the actions of this woman that caused such a stir. There was a conflict in the house. Jesus, just as this woman rather offered her unique and sincere worship to the Lord, when we do likewise, it is going to make some folks upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some people not going to like the way that we worship. So, some people not going to like the way that we shout and we lift our hands. Some people not going to like the way that we sing and we do our dance. Some people going to go home and get uh, on their gossip line and talk about, girl, did you see her in worship today? Y'all, did y'all see the pastor breaking down in worship today? They going to talk about and criticize us, but y'all, that doesn't matter. We must worship anyway. Just like this woman poured out everything with no regard for the opinions of everyone, we have to be willing to worship the Lord no matter what folks might say, no matter the rebuke of others, because our worship is not for them. Our worship is not about them. Our worship is for an audience of one. It's not a show. It's not a moment to be in the limelight. It's a time and a space where we can be authentically in the presence of God, giving God the praise and the honor and the glory that God is due. This woman's anointing of Jesus was an act of worship that reveals some truths about what our own worship should be like. The first thing that the text teaches us today that about our own worship is that our worship should be expensive. Yeah. Somebody say expensive in the room. Yeah, yeah. Somebody type expensive in the comments right now. Our worship, yeah, should be expensive. Check the text. Uh, in verse 3, uh, it says that uh, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And even before we consider what 
it is that she did, what it is that she gave, what it is that she poured out, we ought to consider first that she came ready to give. Yeah, don't, don't, don't miss it. She came with something in her hand. She came prepared to give. Uh, she came with intention. She said, I'm taking this alabaster flask of pure nard and taking it to where Jesus is so that I can pour it on his head as an act of worship. Y'all, she was intentional. As the old saints would say, she came to Simon's house with her mind stayed. Y'all know the song, Oh, and Jesus. Yeah, and because of Jesus, uh, because of who Jesus was to her, it impacted and influenced what she brought to him. Uh, and so what we have to think about is uh, how, what does Jesus mean to us in our private worship space? What, what does Jesus mean to us as we prepare ourselves to come into the place of worship? Listen, I said this earlier. I said this towards the end of the last year uh, because I was expecting that in January we're going to be back in here. But listen, if you online, even if you're in the room, don't come back in this sanctuary not prepared to worship the Lord. Because when you think about all the Lord has done for you, when you think about all the ways that God has made for you, when you think about how he kept you through the last two years and made the ends meet for you, when you didn't know when it was how it was coming together, when you think about how he healed your body, you ought not come in here playing with God, but you ought to show up ready to worship the Lord. Show up ready. So where you ought to come with something in your hand. You ought to come with a song on your lips. You ought to come with praise in your mouth. Ready to worship the Lord. And I, perhaps one of the challenges of our own worship life is that we aren't as intentional about worship because our focus isn't always in the right place. And I'm not just talking about showing up to the building now that church is reopening because the reality is that worship ain't never stopped. We ain't never stopped worshiping. We just been doing it differently. If the only place you can worship is in a building, then maybe you're not worshiping Jesus. Worship can happen anywhere when your mind is fixed in the right place. We look at the text in verse 3, this pure nard that she brings. It's expensive. We know that because of how they reacted to her bringing it in. Uh, the pure nard in the alabaster jar was uh was came from india it was worth more as it says in the text in verse five more than a whole year's wages the nard was precious oil it was worth something it was valuable and your worship should be valuable your worship should be valuable to you because it's valuable to god now how much is your worship worth when you think about it what what does your worship of god cost you yeah, it's a lot of people that I said loaded up in, a, in an arena in New Orleans and paid top dollar to go in to see UNC and Duke play last night. It's a lot of folks that have been going to this Maxwell tour and the New Edition tour. And they paid top dollar to see their favorite musical artists dancing and singing on the stage. But how much is your worship worth to you? How much is it worth to you to come into the presence of the Lord and to lift up his holy name? It's sacrifice for people on earth. Then you ought to be able to come into the place of worship and sacrifice to the Lord. 
Not just financially, but sacrificing a sacrifice of praise. Giving of God the fruit of our lips. Lifting up the Lord from the depths of our spirits and our souls. Our worship, y'all, has to be expensive. But our worship should not only be expensive, it should also be extravagant. Somebody say extravagant. Yeah, type that in the comments, extravagant today. Worship should be extravagant. In verse 3, it says that she broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. The jar that contained the precious oil was made of alabaster stone. It was made in such a way that when it was opened, it had to be used. There was no recapping it. It's not like the cologne and stuff that we got and perfume and the oils that we have in our home where we spray a little bit, put the cap back on, and save it for another day. No, when you open this stuff, you had to use it all in one sitting. Uh, it could not be resealed. It could not be closed back up. Once it was open, it had to be used, and she poured all that she had on Jesus. Don't miss what's happening here in the text. She gave everything she had. All that she had, she was extravagant in her worship, pouring out from this vessel all of the oil, all of the expensive oil that the folks said was supposed to be used and sold to, to, to feed those who were hungry, feed those who were in poverty. She poured it all out on Jesus. And that's what we're called to do in our worship. We learned this week in our study. Yes, that we are called to worship the Lord with all that we have. In fact, a couple chapters back in Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says that we ought to worship the Lord with what? With all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We've got to give it all unto God. Yeah, I, I, I know he hasn't had the best reputation as of late, um, but I... I I'm a, I like Russell Westbrook. Y'all know Russell Westbrook. Y'all know Russell Westbrook. He plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. He's played for a bunch of other teams. I, I, I like Russell Westbrook uh, because despite his flaws and his mistakes and the way and the things that he does on the floor and his turnovers and all of that, Russell Westbrook plays basketball the way we ought to worship. Russell Westbrook leaves it all on the floor. There's not a night that you watch Russell Westbrook play that you can say, man, you can say, man, he played poorly, but you can't say that he didn't give you everything that he had. And when we come into the house of the Lord to worship, when we go into our private closet to worship the Lord, we've got to give it all that we've got. All of our hearts. All of our minds. All of our soul. All of our strength. The entirety of our being. We were created to worship the Lord. And we got to worship God with reckless abandon. Worship doesn't require us to do it mindlessly. We got to be thoughtful. We ought to be thinking about the songs that we're singing. We ought to be thinking about what the Lord has done for us. We ought to be thinking about the scriptures which we're reading and meditating upon every day. We ought to let the spirit of the Lord ought to be in our spirits and draw from our hearts, draw from our souls a praise that is so passionate and powerful that it reaches into the throne room of heaven. And we ought not be afraid, y'all, to get up and do what we got to do with our bodies. And I said in Bible study, I love our African brothers and sisters 
Because you look at a worship service in Africa, they dancing and they moving and they don't care. They, they can be three-piece suit. They can have on the same thing I got on. They can be in church. They go dance and move and all of that. They're not afraid. They're not ashamed. And we've got to put it all together so that we're giving God our very best and that we're extravagant in our worship of the Lord. Got to be expensive. Worship should be extravagant. But finally, worship, y'all, should be exposing. Somebody say exposing. Type that in the comments. Exposing. I'm done. Jesus' response to the detractors of this woman's worship was paramount to the understanding of the expository nature of this woman's worship. He says that her act of worship was a beautiful thing. The beautiful thing that she did came from the heart that she possessed. Her worship exposed her heart, showing how deeply devoted, how lavishly loving and graciously generous she was. She gave all of her best to Jesus, and Jesus calls this beautiful. It's fair to think, it is fair to objectively search ourselves. I think rather it's fair for us to objectively search ourselves and ask what Jesus would say about our worship. How would Jesus describe the way we worship the Lord? Would it be old ages doing barely enough to get by? Would it it seem dutiful or habitual? Would would it be described as beautiful? Our worship, y'all, is an outgrowth of our personal devotion to God. And the quality of our worship often points to the depth of that devotion. In the, the woman in the text was deeply devoted to the Lord. She brought her best and gave it all to anoint him. She sets the example for us today. And we have to be willing to give it all to the Lord in worship. All of ourselves, the very best we have to offer. Our very lives should be poured out in worship of the Lord. Not only does Jesus' response to the woman's, uh, expose the woman's heart, but it exposes the priority of those who were gathered in Simon's house. Yet, yeah, in their own self-righteous way, these folks sought to seem pious and holy by bringing up the notion that the perfume could have been sold from for, uh, how much the perfume could have been sold for, and the, how the money could have been given to the poor. Yet, Jesus reminded them that the poor will always be around And that you always got a chance to do good to those that are poor. But he said to them, look, I'm not going to be here always. I'm only here for, I'm not, I'm here, not here for a long time. I'm getting ready to go to Calvary's cross and die. And then after that, I'm going back to my father in heaven. But they didn't catch that. They missed what he was trying to tell them. And they prioritized the work that they had, but only in an ego-stroking, prideful way. They, They wanted to give to the poor in this moment, but hadn't talked about it no other time. Uh, Yeah, their concern wasn't really about the poor, but about their perceived waste and the lack of control that they had over the situation. I can hear them complaining about how much money they could have had, but this woman wasted the perfume on the Lord. What an indictment. Consider this. They called her act of worship a waste. And another way of thinking of it is that they were saying the age-old church adage that it doesn't take all of that. This priceless moment of worship before Jesus was not worth as much uh, to the group as it was to the woman. And when we designate and prioritize the worship of the Lord, y'all, it is never a waste. 
The time that we spend in the presence of the Lord is perhaps the greatest investment that we could ever make. Worship is not wasteful. Worship is not worthless. But it is the fuel that actually gives us what we need to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. Doing the work without worship proves powerless. But when we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord in authentic devotion and worship, we are being transformed by his presence. And we have a greater spiritual energy to do the work that we're called to do. Y'all read John chapter 15. He said, when we stay connected to the vine, then we'll always have nourishment. We'll always have what we need to produce fruit from our branches. And that's exactly what worship allows us to do. It keeps us connected with God. In Jesus' response to the rebuke of the woman, he says she did what she could. She poured out perfume beforehand to prepare my body for burial. Jesus had spent the latter part of his days of ministry preparing the disciples for his death. He explicitly tells them three times throughout Mark's gospel. Uh, however, with all the time that they have spent with Jesus, they have difficult, difficulty wrapping their minds around this. They understood him to be the Messiah but couldn't grasp the fact that he was on his way to the Passover festival in Jerusalem to die. Yet, according to Jesus, this woman seemed to intuitively know what was about to happen and was preparing him for it. Her worship helped her recognize the revelation that everyone else had a hard time receiving. And that is that the anointed and chosen Messiah was getting ready to die. Her worship exposed the fate of Jesus Christ. And I just want to let you know as I close up this little sermon here, uh, that when we spend time in worship, not only are we giving unto God what God deserves giving God our all giving God the very best that we have but God will then in turn start to reveal some things to us that the time we spend in worship allows God to trust us with divine revelation because when we worship in God God knows our heart and he can trust our heart with what he is giving unto us y'all God in worship he exposes us for what we are uh, we have to think about uh, that old the testimony of the prophet Isaiah uh, who said these words that in the year uh, that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne in the train of his robe filled the temple with glory above him were seraphim each with six wings two wings that covered their faces two that covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another in worship of the Lord for who we are but it puts us in position for God to fix us for God to clean us for God to heal us for God to, uh, to, to restore us for God to atone for our sin and to make us fit for his service so we've got to worship the Lord with all that we have we've got to worship the Lord with all of our hearts we've got to worship the Lord with all that we are that God would get the glory in our lives with be transformed here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am say that you're my God you're altogether lovely altogether worthy altogether wonderful to me when we come back into this place as we return to in-person worship this ought to be a continuation of what we've been doing at the house. 
And we ought to be able to come in this place and see people's lives literally changed by the power of God. Because I worshiped at home and you worshiped at home and then we came together and we worshiped together and it brought forth a unique and powerful moment of God's presence in this place that transformed us. It made us fit to go out into the world and serve speak for the Lord so let's worship the Lord let's worship God in spirit and in truth the beauty of holiness let's worship as we return let's worship so God will change it God will God will give you strategy. God will reveal things to you in worship. God will reveal it to you in prayer. God will reveal it to you through his words. That's why these disciplines matter. Because we setting ourselves up for God to do incredible things through us. Things that we never thought possible. <laughs> 